Yo, 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 how's it going? You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Producer Griff here. Craig is busy acting again this week, so you're going to have to make do with my slightly less velvety smooth northern tones. Um, Again, this week, to coincide with the finale of the highly acclaimed BBC TV series Line of Duty, we're bringing you some snippets of our Two Shot Podcast chats with some of the brilliant actors who are in it. What you're about to hear are some excerpts from episodes with Tony Pitts, Neil Morrissey, Vicky McClure, Aidy Dunbar, Maya Sandy and Danny Mays. Also, Craig's asked me to give a shout out to Carly Paradise and her world productions so that we'd be less likely to get bollocked for nicking a bit of her excellent Line of Duty theme tune to make our TSP XLOD Uh, podcast theme tune for this week's um, edition well composed Carly and sorry for not asking permission Um, anyway here's this week's episode enjoy, see you in a bit It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I made it in, like I think I've repeated this pattern through my life, I made it, uh, uh, I made it, I made my own reality within it. Again, that sounds, but I did make my own. So I, I, we came to an agreement at the end. They said if I, uh, if you I. You in the school? Yes, me in the school. If I wasn't disruptive and, uh, and didn't lead others into, uh, inappropriate behaviour. I could bring a radio and sit in uh, the cupboard in Val, the secretary's office. Um, that was the accommodation. Were you disruptive? Uh, yeah, but not in. Uh... Oh, it's all right. Somebody's... It's okay. It's okay. We've got to... I think got we've someone... got to recognise that somebody came to the room that I didn't just just have a complete. <laughs> we, someone was just creeping yeah. down the stairs yeah, where yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was disruptive, but I don't think in. A, I mean, I organise. I remember. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I probably was disruptive. I was disruptive, but I think I'd like to think in a in a there was some art in it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I like to think that there was some art in it. I wasn't, I wasn't um, nasty. I, 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 yeah, I remember having a, um, a some pajama. I don't know. I can't. I, don't. I was disruptive, but I think um, it was more. I, 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 I organised uh, bingo. Uh, At school? To, uh, yeah, so I used to, in the lessons, from lesson to lesson, I'd give kids bingo cards uh, and then uh, call the numbers during the lessons. 
and you could do line or house, and then eventually Stephen Elliott shouted house really loud, and it all came crashing down. And that was more that it's not that I wanted to play bingo. I had no interest in bingo, but I do remember liking the idea of there being another culture within that. So where they thought they were teaching us about uh, Pythagoras's theorem, somebody was actually waiting for twenty-seven for a line. I like that. I like that. I, I like that. Right. That's fantastic. Right. Did you have a good set of friends at school? Uh, I'd uh, uh, they turned on me. They uh, they sniffed me out. They um, I sort of so uh, I played myself. I played uh, a version of myself. I played that sort of. I think we, all, we all do that. We do that. Yeah. yeah. Then I think as the years went by, it became apparent to them. Uh, you know, I started turning up in. Uh, see-through plastic shoes and uh, enjoying uh, Shakespeare and um, uh, Laurie Lee and uh, uh, yeah, I think there was a bit of a of a sniffing out went on, and there's book big, but but that's the beginning of uh, what like it seems essentially life is, which is finding your people, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. finding your people. It's an interesting thing you say that because um, I was listening. To, to you, bloody hell, this podcast sponsored by Rich Dolly. Rich Dolly comes up again with you and Richard yeah. on the Radio 4 thing. Yeah. And I think it was you that said, you know, we, we, and I'm not quoting, but something like, you know, we spend our life looking for our people yeah. and who are our people. Yeah. And once we find our yeah. people, that's it. That, that, that's it. And yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with yes. that. My wife always says, yeah, but Craig, you know, they're not your people yeah, or yeah. they're not my people. That's so right. I think it's a beautiful phrase. No, that's I, right. I don't hear it said by many people. So when it you said it on the yeah. podcast, it really pinged out because I immediately knew what you meant. And that beautiful thing of, uh, of so I'm 55 in a couple of weeks, that beautiful thing of, because you kind of think, oh, found them they're in you know you make that mistake in your 20s and your 30s you think they're your people but they're not your people they're no. just visitors but that's all right they're just there for that part of the ride yeah but the beautiful thing is i've found in the last 10 years i've found two or three people that are you know out of a clear blue sky that um uh and the sense of it's just that thing of um I think it's your starting point with people. So, so you're talking rather than explaining. Not, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. it's a, so we're not explaining or having to feel the weight of each other. You just, and in a way, it can be effortless. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I know when I I found those people because I feel very relaxed in myself. I yeah. don't feel nervous. That's right. And you and can I don't. Be... F- I don't feel judged. Yes, especially if um, I, I worry that somebody is. is uh, better educated than me. Right. They, well, what if they're judging me? Right. I, if, I, if I'm talking to someone and I don't feel it, I feel, oh, great. Well, right, right, I yeah, sure. You know, it's your constant... Sure. I, I have that worry within myself, but if I feel relaxed... Well, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, a, a painfully... A, a painfully, painfully simple thing, but uh, um, be as you wish to seem. Uh, I remember reading that as a 12-year-old and the, and the full weight of that... Uh, Keeps on landing. Be as you wish to seem, and 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 to um, and to be able to be you, and because uh, only you know what a terrible person you are, right? You know yeah. all the terrible thoughts you've had, all the terrible deeds you've. Only we, you know, we know we know that. So it, it seems to me that it um, it's about accepting yourself. You know, it's about accepting uh, who you, who you are, and that's the. Uh, 
And I, I think that depends where you start, you know. I think your starting point dictates a lot about your later years. What 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 you see is down for people, what you think's down for you, for your life. See, I didn't, gr- I didn't grow up in an environment where there were actors and writers. I didn't see actors or writers or musicians or artists. I didn't see them. Um, if you've got to remember, it was, uh, I was born in 62, so um, any time between 62 and 72 when I was taken into care was um, we were Irish family, Irish parents, you know. And, the Irish, and where was your Irish heritage from? Uh, my mum's from the north, Armagh, yeah. um, south Armagh, and my dad's from the south, Kilkenny. But it didn't matter. If you were in England and you had an Irish accent, accent in the 70s, then you were bombing the English, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and um, so there was a lot of um, um, racism against the Irish at that, at that time, which is still sort of hung over from the 50s and the 60s when the massive, um, well, even before that, when there was a massive influx of Irish people coming over here, you know, because of various troubles, etc. So we, we had that, so we were tarred by that brush a little bit as the family. Not that we understood that as young children, but that certainly uh, retrospectively must have had a, a sway on the social services when it came time for them to decide that it was unsafe for us to live at home any longer. Why? Do you mind me talking about that? No, How, go on ahead, yeah. Why, why did they deem it unsafe for you to stay at home? Was it, or was it you and your two brothers? Me and three, there was three brothers. Three brothers. Yeah, we were very naughty children, that's for sure, but we were feral. I mean, whilst my parents were, were, were nice people, they were terrible parents. <laughs> they were proper go-down-the-pub-and-leave-them-indoors uh, parents when we were very young, you know. What, if like I was to, about five or six, that young girl? Yeah, even, yeah. Uh, who knows, could even be before. I remember being about six and sitting at the top of the stairs and screaming my head off until a neighbour came round because my parents were out. You know, uh, and but how much does that disturb you? I don't know. How much does it, um, how much of a scar does it leave? I don't know, really. You know, I've always been a fairly sort of um, calm person in general. But yeah, those kind of, that's, that's, that's kind of what was going on. I'm not sure whether the, the council moved us because they didn't pay the rent as well. So we ended up in a kind of a horrible, horrible house where they had to go and burn the, the coal fires. There was no central heating, no bath. Yeah. Um, they had to go and burn the coal fires to dry the walls out before we moved into it because the rent wasn't getting paid on the previous house or something like that. I don't know. It's a scant memory. There was no indoor toilet and there was no um, bath. And this is, we're talking about 1970s here, you know, it's, it's not the dark ages. Yeah. And you used to wake up and the plaster had fallen off the roof onto your bed, you know, and things like that. It was a uh, squalor. But then the social services who placed us there said that the house was unfit for us to live in and therefore unsafe. And so they took the children away. But they were the ones who put us there in the first place. And how, what's the age differences between you and your brothers? About two years between all of us. So there would have been Danny um, is the youngest. He was... Um, when I went into care, he would have been about eight, going on nine. Then there was me, who was ten. Steve, who was about eleven, going on twelve. And then there was John, twelve, going on thirteen, um, who was the eldest. <clears throat> Steve's no longer with us. The um, um, the one, my elder brother. There was two dark-haired and two fair-haired. Um, the the fair-haired ones were the, the youngest and the eldest. And then in the middle, me and Steve, we were dark-haired, dark-eyed. But Steve had a massive accident in his twenties, <clears throat> and. Um, Ended up having all kinds of brain damage and was then a real problem person. You know, never really got over this kind of mental issues that he had. Ended up doing a couple of stretches in prison and um, was found dead in a flat in Wolverhampton three weeks after he died. Probably, we think, um, um, experimenting with heroin. 
Right, and were you, did you lose contact, or were you still close at that time? <clears throat> During this period, when he was absolutely mental, <laughs> we all, the family, sort of lost contact with him. And I don't want to sound awful, but he was such trouble. He'd go and burgle your house or, you know, hit your children and, or attack you. And he'd always be attacking other people. And it wasn't his fault. He really was in a, in a weird state. And he, he wouldn't take his own medication. He was constantly in contact with out-of-body uh, people, God. And, uh, you know, he's sure he could um, contact, talk to God. And he was always having conversations. He was one of those people walking down the street having conversations with voices etc so he was in a proper state and he wouldn't take his medication and he, did, um, did you as a as a unit as a family try and reach out to help him because obviously yeah everyone did my parents were both psychiatric nurses really? so yeah so there was plenty of uh, but there was no you had to if, if you even in, in in that state yourself particularly at, at that period you had to go and seek help yourself. They couldn't, it couldn't be forced upon you. Even when he was in prison, because he went and served a couple of stretches in prison, they, um, no one really... It was just the mental bloke in cell 14 or whatever it was, yeah. whatever he was. And so when he was out, it was just dangerous to be around, and he was um, constantly causing trouble. I mean, in terms of really break into my mum and dad's house and foul the whole place up. And I mean that in the absolute toiletry sense. Right. Um, so there was a kind of a fear of him as well because he was very strong and, um, you know... So in a sense, when someone is... It was such a burden on the family and it was, it was awful. It was one of those uh, situations that when he did die, it was like a sense of relief and not just for us, but for him because he was able to rest... His mind was, must have been so active with the voices and the demons and the devils and the, the behaviour, which somewhere inside his head he must have known was inappropriate, wrong and self-torturing, etc. That it was probably, it was a relief for him and it was a relief for everybody when we were able to bury him, you know. When I was, so from say like the age of 19, that's when I started working in the office and I had an office job and they paid me a wage. Yeah. You know, it wasn't any different to a normal office wage it was just a wage so therefore I could afford to look after myself and pay for my phone bill and pay for my train fares and pay for you know whatever it was I needed because I wasn't from a wealthy family where they could pay for things for this and that for everything you know what I mean um so I got a job and that's what kept me in good stead because then I could just work and then if an audition came up, I'd take it unpaid or I'd take it as holiday or whatever. And then I'd go to London, do my audition, nine times out of ten, didn't get the job, come back, crack on. I'm still working, I'm still earning a living. Yeah. It might not work out. This acting thing just might not work out, but I still need to have a job. Because there is that constant doubt in your mind. Yeah, of course. And then odd jobs had come in and then This Is England, the film happened when I was 21 Shaved all my hair off, went to the office. (laughs) 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 Sorry about this, just be temporary. Um, And then, so after that, again, thought, this is it. This is going to be fine. It's all going to go great. Done a film with Shane. It's an amazing film. I'm fiercely proud of it. Didn't do anything. Again, just the odd things here and there. Obviously, then I did that bloody um, film with Madonna. 
I think it's so inspiring, certainly um, for younger people, whether they're they're training now and they're listening to this or they want to go to drama school or maybe they look at you on TV and think, oh, it's plain sailing for her, but it isn't isn't like that, is it? It's still not. No. I don't believe it ever will be because, you know, even if somebody said to me, right, I'm just going to pass you Julie Walters' career and say that's yours forever. Jesus Christ. Like, the pressure of knowing that you've got amazing work to come up, but you've still got to nail it. You've still got to do the work. You've still got to turn up and turn up and perform. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter what job it is, whether it is a short film where there's no budget, whether it is a big BBC drama, whether it's a film, whether it's theatre, whatever it is, you've got to turn up. Yeah. That's as simple as that. And that isn't isn't easy because, you know, I wake up in a crabby mood think I can't be fucking bothered you know or I don't really like this scene or you know we we are all human beings it doesn't matter what job you do of course you know but the one thing you can't do in this industry is pull a sickie no you just you know unless you're dead your legs gotta be falling off your legs literally gotta be falling off and so you've got to sustain it and whilst you've got that job because you don't know when the next one's coming if you haven't got anything lined up afterwards you've got to you know, go in there and be like, right. <laughs> I think one of the many things wh- when I was trading that was absolutely smacked into me was be punctual. Oh, God. Because once that... If you're not there, I would get there 10 minutes before. If you're not there, I remember running late once for drama school, got there, like a minute oh. past, or even seconds past the hour, doors locked. I can see people. Yeah. No, just no, a no. wave of the hand, yeah. you're out of Ian there. Was exactly the you're same. gone for the day. Ian Smith at the workshop was exactly the same. Um, and, and you're the one that's losing you know, out. You know better than anyone, I am so punctual. Oh, my like, God. I, if you say you meet me at nine o'clock, I'm there at quarter two, and annoyed you're not there at five two. I hate to say the word. <laughs> I hate to say the word anal, but yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, I know. And it, that's been drilled into me just because my family are renowned for being on time anyway. Were you pissed off when I was two minutes late for this podcast? I'm not even going to talk about it. Oh, on, my on God. A, oh, it. <laughs> but it's definitely done me a, a, a good, you know, it's put me in good stead for this industry because, you know, the hours are insane. Yeah. You do have to make sure, you know, you're on time and, and you and know. Keep you have to be professional. Fits. You have to be professional. Yeah. You know, yeah. Keep fit, do you know? I'm always in the gym. Sure. Always in the sure. gym. <laughs> Never seen a burger through your mouth. <laughs> well, just... When am I going to go to the gym? When is this day going to appear? I've seen that. I've it's just been happening happen. for about seven or eight years, no, as I far don't. as I know. <laughs> I think you've got lovely gym gear, but actually. <laughs> Got really nice Adidas trainers. Yeah, just sat there. they've never seen a treadmill in their life. Um, with I know you're really you're quite active on social media. Sure. And in this day and age, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, of, yeah. of you know, because you probably are an inspiration for for young kids. Do you ever get uh, letters through the post or requests through social media? Asking for funds for to train to help them, or I can't say I've ever had anyone asking me for money. Right, um, I've had loads of people ask me for advice um, or interviews for their dissertations and, and things like that. And I have done, you know, uh, what you can, what I can. Yeah, you know, it's, it is it is impossible. Uh, social media is. I, I love social media for a lot of reasons. In other in other ways, it can be a dangerous place to be because you know you're accessible. Um, for lots of different things and you know I think it's dangerous to open the floodgates because you know I've got things 
I've got work on, I've got stuff to do. It's like I can't, I wish I could, but I can't give myself to everybody. Um, but I certainly do what I can. And, you know, people will just ask for like pearls of wisdom for the industry. And I always go back saying the same thing, which is just stick to who you are. Yeah. Because it, you are the most interesting thing to them. And I remember going to auditions back in the day and I, I'd try and change my accent slightly, you know, make it less knots and um, just try and be really overly lovely and polite. Not that I'm not, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> no, I can vouch for that. Just try and be something I'm not and and talk about things that I didn't really find interesting, which I was just trying... You know, it's a bit like, can you ride a horse? Yes. <laughs> you know? Good at trampolining. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> like, just basically be a yes man. Um, I think it's I think it's important to go into any meeting or in any situation to be honest and be and say, oh no, I'm not really into his films, but um, you know I can appreciate why people like them. Like you know I'm not really into Star Wars and stuff like that. I'm not really into Harry Potter. So people go, what you don't? Yeah. You know it's like no, I'm not, and that's all right. Like I can't be involved in everything. We can't all be everything to everybody. Well, the world would be a boring place. Well, it would. And I just think people, um, you know, if you go into an audition and you try and be one thing and you get the job and then you get on set and you end up being yourself and they go, hold on, you're not what I met in the room. And then you're fucked. You know, so I've, you know, there's been a huge amount of variety uh, in, 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 you know, what I've done. And then, like, you know, out of the blue... Um, as you know, recently that you know this series happened called Line of Duty, which is now about I think seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It I, was, is. I was I was thinking uh, the other day, God, how long have how long have we known each other? And yeah. it, is, it is going back to that time. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy because it started out as such a small little thing for us yeah. that, we, that we all invested in and all knew yeah. how incredible it was, but that small bunch of us yeah. that were there from day one. I was looking through some... I'm, I was searching for some work that I've lost. I don't know what it, I don't know how I did it. So I was looking through all my downloads and all my stuff the other day, and I came across this cast list of that particular period, and there were the names of, you know, everybody... Like, uh, you know, Martin's character and uh, Vicky's character and so forth. And then just said, Superintendent Ted. You know, so he didn't actually, have a, didn't actually have a name at that point. You know, he didn't know his name was going to be Hastings or yeah. anything like that. So it was like, in those early days, as you say, none of us knew really where it was going to go or what was going to happen with it. But, you know, we could tell it was good. And... Uh, you know, and there's a great bunch of people like we, you, you know, yourself and Neil and Vicky and Martin and uh, Lenny James. You know how brilliant was Lenny and yeah. uh, you know and Nigel. I mean Nigel Morton, Ni- you know Neil's character. They're great characters and all the rest of it. So uh, and, you know, and that was kind of coming full circle when you think of me and Neil going to that party. I know on that Saturday night uh, at, uh, to get into drama school, and here we were together. You know. Many, 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 many years later. Many adventures later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, doing Line of Duty. And, of course, we didn't know. I mean, it was only, as you know very well, probably about halfway through the second series that it really caunts mm. fire. 
And, and even episode one of the second series didn't get good numbers. And then suddenly, halfway through, the numbers started going up. And it was touch and go whether we were going to get a second series in the first place. So thank God the BBC decided to, you know, to go with that. Yeah. And, you know, it was great that BBC Northern Ireland got behind it, uh, Stephen Wright. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's been kind of one of those, for me, it's been an absolute, you know, game changer, godsend. You know, the, the sort of thing that you really, you, you would keep your fingers crossed that you would get. You know, because I'm 60 this year. So it's like kind of, you know, to get it at this stage of your career is such a gift, you know, a part like this. I bet, because you've had such uh, such an interesting career doing lots of loads of different things. And I was thinking about the older years that I've known you, and I remember thinking, oh, we, well, Aidy's finishing the acting now, and I remember saying to him, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm off to go and do the Brendan Bean thing, or I'm doing the Beckett Festival. You're always keeping yourself creative you're always doing something yeah i think it's important for actors like like you know you're doing this podcast now i think it's very important for actors uh to stay in their creative head at all times you know we've got to keep uh you know being no matter what you're doing you know you, you know i know actors who are, who are really good at carpentry for example and will will go and or or they're good at painting but you know they'll do some something that they can put their creativity into you can't let your creativity lie around you can't wait for the phone to ring thinking that somebody's going to... You've got to get either right, you've got to get up and perform, you've got to do... Somehow, if you can, I mean, I know that it's difficult, but if you can, you've got to explore other things that you yeah. can do. And, uh, you know, it might be putting on a poetry uh, reading somewhere, you know, because th those things are wonderful, you know. People love those events. And uh, at the moment, I've put together this incredible show. I think it's incredible where I've taken uh, T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland and I've broken it into four voices. And a friend of mine, Nick Roth, has written this new music. And I found the BFI uh, recently uh, put online uh, the first ever colour footage of London in the 1920s. And it's absolutely extraordinary. Petticoat Lane you know, the barges on the Thames, all that kind of thing, very, very evocative, and just at the right time for the, for the, for the poem, when the poem is written. And I put all three things together, and it's really an extraordinary evening, you know. And art, after all, when, when you're, when you, when you, after a while you realise that art is simply being able to make the connection between things. That's all it is making the connection between colour and emotion, making the connection between, you know, words and emotion and, the, you know, the visual connections. That they, if you can find three things that connect with one another, you're, you know, and they may, you know, so you, it, it, it's not necessarily that you have to be original all the time. What's important that you can see how things slot into one another and complement one another and create a new whole, if you like. Three things that you thought were whole in themselves. You put the three of them together and suddenly, bang, something else happens, you know. I never really liked being with people the same age as me. At school, and at school, you know, you're, you're always with people the same age. As soon as you do drama, it's like... Well, you wanted to be with people that I just, were... I wanted to be with people older. Yeah. I did. And, I, I was yeah, like that. Yeah. Because you, you do... Because I like, I like to be tested and I like to learn and watch people. And 
you know, you can learn, obviously, and especially now you can learn from younger people all the time. But I think at that age, you want someone to look up to, you want people to follow, because you don't know who you are and you don't know where you're going. Yeah. So you kind of go, oh, what are they doing? That's interesting. I remember getting obsessed with this girl in one of the shows that I did on the side, where she could do, she was like 17, and I'm. she seemed so old to me, but I must have been about 13, 12, 13. And she could do a no-handed cartwheel. Get your head around that. Do you know what? Even now at 41, if I see someone do that, that's fucking impressive. It's amazing. And I remember her. She was called Vicky. She could do a no-handed cartwheel and I was just like, she's amazing. And she's like, I just, yeah. And then I had all these lovely role models who were older and all from different backgrounds and, you know, different classes, different, you know, different... Um, uh, talents, you know, dancers, singers, actors, drummers, all sorts of things. So I think, and then I got frustrated at, at senior school because it was so academic and I just didn't, like, I could go with the academia, fine, because I did like to work, I liked to work hard, but I just felt like, oh, it's got, there's something else now that's... Did you not have drama as a... As a- uh, GCSE no. or uh, there was no drama extracurricular. There was you could do drama, like you could opt for it in one of the things, but it was so rubbish and it was just so half-hearted, and um, and you couldn't no, you couldn't really like get your teeth into it. So then I could get my teeth into when we did the show, which was West Side Story. I could really get my teeth into that, um, and they just they really went to town on it, you know, and they kind of made it such a big show and they did loads of performances. And then I, I just, I just thought I've, I've got to try for drama school because you know what? They'll, everyone kept saying to me at 18, 18 straight from school, they won't have you. They won't have you. Yeah. Uh, you should go to university. You should go to Cambridge. You should go to Cambridge and get a degree. And I'm like, okay, right. Yeah. Well, I'll apply for Cambridge, but I'll also apply for drama school and see what happens. And you know, they'll decide because if they think I'm ready at 18, I'll go because they'll take me. And if they don't, fair enough. And then I'll do something else. But I'm going to let them decide because I want to go. And then, you know, so then I went to Lambda. And then... What was the support like from your parents? My parents were incredible. They, uh, My parents are really liberal anyway. And they, they're really, they're passionate about... They've always been passionate about like nurturing whatever you whatever you feel you are, whatever you want. Like and supporting that. Yeah. Even to like and sexuality wise, you know, I'm straight, but when I was like about thirteen, fourteen, I remember I hadn't I hadn't shown any interest in any boys at school or anything like that. I hadn't brought like brought anyone home and whatever. And they sat me down at the kitchen table and they were like, just so you know Whatever you choose to be in life, whoever you fall in love with, it's absolutely fine. We accept everyone in, into this house. I'm like, do you think I'm gay just because I haven't got any boys home? Oh my God, have you seen the boys in the boys' school? They're disgusting. <laughs> like, and then my first boyfriend ended up being, um, he was an uh, uh, amazing West Indian cellist and he was gay. <laughs> so that was the first person that I brought home. <laughs> So yeah. So they fully supported. They totally did you yeah. in every aspect. Yeah, they were nervous. Obviously, as a parent, you're nervous about. You don't want your child to be rejected. I think that's the biggest thing. You don't want your child to just be rejected and depressed, and you know you don't want them to struggle financially. You don't you don't want them to have a hard life, but then you also don't want to tread on their dreams, kind of. No, thing. So, of course. You know, so they were like, they did get. 
they found it hard. I know at times when, because it's, since I found writing, I'm like, I'm totally happy. But I, I did suffer from depression at times when I was just waiting for acting work. And I had to do lots of side jobs. And I was getting really frustrated just waiting. And I think they saw that and they felt really powerless. And, yeah. you know, I think as a parent, you just, because now I feel it, now I've got a baby. And I even when he's got a cold and I can't make it better, I yeah. feel like really crappy but i think that's that was their concern it was like i'm we don't want you to be sad basically you know we just want you to 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 enjoy everything you're doing and so like now they're just completely content because i've got so many things on but they were they they would never ever ever have said to me you can't do that the first ever i was thinking about this the first ever performance i ever did I can't believe we're gonna, I'm going to share this with you now. <laughs> they did a play, they did a production of 40 Towers. At what age? <laughs> I was um, infant school, man. It was like young. Really? Yeah. And I remember they, I do this, remember some form of audition or something like that. And my mate, Glenn Watts, got Basil Fawlty. And I didn't, that's the role I wanted. <laughs> and I was devastated. I can remember crying and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, so I didn't get the gig. And then Glenn Watts was rather naughty and he lost the part and they gave it to me. But I can remember on the school stage at St John's, Danny Williams was Manuel, all that sort of stuff. But... um you know, it's mad how your memory goes all the way yeah. back. That was actually the first ever, you know, I can remember being on stage, I can remember people laughing, I can remember the response to it. Um, so, yeah, there did you go. You the up, first thing I went up for, I didn't get it. There's, there was a, there's a pattern here. <laughs> Welcome to the world of acting, Danny. <laughs> it ain't going to change. Well, did you get the buzz then, do you think? Would that where it start? It must have started prior to you. Well, you must have I'd had say, a little something in. I'll tell you what it is, I think, and someone, uh, who, a, a journalist interviewed me, and, you know, being one of four boys, yeah. uh, you know, it was a rather loud boisterous but loving household sports mad it was either golf football or cricket um Did that come from your dad yeah my dad used to play uh for kelvin and hatch he was a fantastic footballer as were my two older brothers i mean they're quite dominating presence really in the household particularly my older brother paul was probably the best footballer out of all of us you know um uh, and i just followed in their footsteps. I mean, way back when, I mean, I was like most kids, I just wanted to be a footballer. Yeah. I was captain of Loughton Boys. Uh, I played sweeper at the back, you know, um, shouting away and ordering people around. Um, so that's really what I wanted to do. I was sort of really into sport and things like that. But then gradually, I think being, you know, the third in line and being that middle child, you sort of, shout to be heard a bit and maybe the acting thing kicked in or performing kicked in to just to try to be different. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Cause I was always, I was always jumping around doing impressions. I was either doing Frank Bruno or Prince Charles or, you know, pulling my ears out and all that sort of stuff to be mum and dad's friends. So I was always, there was always a sort of, Need to be loved. No, <laughs> just to be recognised. Yeah. But whether or that to be was heard. A, but but this journalist said, well, maybe that's you know subconsciously that was happening because you were you know one of you know a middle child, and so um, and also in a male-dominated house. Yeah, very. You know, it was very. 
yeah, like male dominated. It was very, um, you know, there was always something happening. Um, and my mum and dad in particular were very, they're very gregarious people. Do you know what I mean? They were very, they're very social people. Mm. Uh, we would always go away on a holiday. They've got a huge network of friends. So not they're really popular, but they are, <laughs> you know what I mean? We would go away to Cornwall and all these places and, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Matthew Farr, he's one of four boys. So it was like, in Bucker Still, there was the Maze Boys, four. There was uh, my mum's best friend, Rita Farr. She had four boys. And there was another family, the Gibsons. So you had the the, four, the Gibsons, the Mazes and the Farrs. So you can imagine the stuff we all got up to. <laughs> I won't say anything more about that. Um, do, you have a, do you still have a close relationship with your brothers now? I do, I do. I mean, I've been really lucky both with my brothers and my mum and dad, they have never wavered in their support in, in, in the sort of career path that I've chose. They've, I've been so blessed in that respect. You know, it's sort of a bit left field, isn't it? You suddenly turn around. Because it all really started with dancing, really. When did the dancing come in? Well, as you know, Craig, I can do a mean <laughs> Michael Jackson impression. I know this, but I've got to, oh, I've got got to, to build throw it up out to there it. to the listeners. We've <laughs> got to build it up. <laughs> Kick on Billy Jean now. <laughs> um, that's really where the whole thing started. Did that come? So that come after Forty Towers? Was this still at? Oh yeah, school? that Forty Towers was way back when. And then I was playing football and just being a normal boy. Um, and then one, I tell you what, exactly what it was. It was I was probably about eleven. I was about eleven or twelve. Mm. I opened up my stocking at Christmas. My mum put in a cassette of Michael Jackson Bad along with a Michael Jackson video, The Legend Continues. Um, see, it's just ingrained on my brain. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And that is about the top and bottom of it for this week. All of those episodes are available in their entirety on the ever-expanding two shot podcast back catalogue um, so dig in find something you love find something you want to listen to and give it a whirl and we will see you next week with some more treats from the annals have a good week first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com